Let us pray. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth make sense because they are inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, who among us has not, over the last couple of months, cried out, why is this happening, God? Why are you letting this happen? Why is this happening to me? Perhaps we might feel somewhat guilty using these words. But in times like these, it's hard not to be praying these prayers, even if they don't always seem prayerful. The first thing I want to say this morning is that it's okay to pray prayers like this. People much holier than I are praying them too. The great biblical tradition of lament reminds us that the people of God pray these prayers as they struggle to reconcile the reality of the suffering in our world. Between now and Pentecost, we are going to immerse ourselves in the first letter of Peter. And the question of suffering will be a recurring theme throughout this letter. So it's logical for us to start with suffering, especially given the times we live in. This year, our church has been working through the theme, truth for our time, truth for all time. As we open this amazing letter, which Martin Luther describes as one of the grandest epistles of the New Testament, we'll be approaching it with the express desire to uncover God's truth being revealed in our time and also what we might call God's eternal truth. But to get to that point, we have to inhabit the context in which this letter is written. This letter is written to the exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia or modern-day Turkey. We quickly pick up that life isn't entirely easy for these Christians. We know from historical correspondence between a regional governor and the emperor in Rome that the persecution of Christians was the default position in these areas around the time the letter was written. The suffering that this letter names is, to the best understanding of biblical scholars, religious persecution. There is a temptation whenever we hear of suffering in Scripture to immediately associate it with what we are feeling or have felt, what we have gone through or what we're going through. I don't know about you, but the most annoying thing that I can often hear somebody say is when you're trying to explain something that you've been going through and they immediately think that they understand what you're feeling and then relate it to something that they've been through. I know at times when that happens to me, I get a self-righteous indignation and think to myself, how dare you assume that you know what I'm feeling and what I'm going through? The problem is I'm equally as guilty of doing this to others. We want to feel like nobody knows the trouble I've seen and at the same time draw all the attention towards ourselves. As we read through this letter, it is important to be aware that the suffering of the people to which this letter is being written 
is not the same suffering we are currently experiencing. But as we understand their situation and the words of hope that are written to them, we can find words that bring us hope for our time and our situation. We can, can understand more of who God is and also who God is not. And we can understand what God is calling us to. I'm going to tackle the big elephant in the room. What responsibility or ownership can we assign to God when humanity suffers? What does 1 Peter tell us? Let's read verses 6 and 7 again. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Is suffering God's way of testing us? Did God allow or cause these Christians to be persecuted? Did God allow or cause COVID-19 to see if we can handle it or if our faith can persevere? I have to be really honest with you. I just don't think a God that allows or causes suffering as some kind of cosmic test is consistent with the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that is revealed in the early church. I know you can read the Old Testament and books like Job and form a view that God can and does put us to the test. I, I know that one of Israel's favourite prayers is that the righteous are blessed and the evil are punished and that you can form a view that people suffer to pay for their sins. But I really think that this is a lazy reading of scripture and buying into a conspiracy theory type of God. I don't know about you, but I've heard more than enough conspiracies to last me a lifetime lately. I want the truth. The truth that this letter reveals is that while God did not force the hand of the governor or the Roman emperor to persecute the Christians, he was powerfully with the believers as they endured their suffering. God did not cause or allow the transmission of COVID-19 for yet a yet-to-be-determined purpose. But God is powerfully with us as we endure suffering. God's presence through times like these can reveal the beauty of faith and holiness and passionate action. This is not to say that suffering is necessary to produce genuine faith. It is simply an acknowledgement that trials can reveal the beauty of our faith, just like fire reveals the beauty of gold. It's ironic that it's not the successes and the triumphs of our lives that most fully reveal our faith. It's often the trials. When we become aware of God at work in these ways, we become aware of what this letter calls living hope. 
Perhaps at no other time in our lives have we needed a hope that is alive than we do today. A hope that can animate us and allows us to seek light in darkness, to hold on to what we know to be true when everything seems questionable. Hope is kept alive by nurturing it. It is sustained by looking beyond tomorrow to a promised future, remembering that we have an inheritance that is not only awaiting us, but that is also being protected. Faith in Jesus Christ makes this all possible. According to Hebrews, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is a state of expectation. And though faith is concerned with what we cannot see, Hope provides us with sight beyond what we can see. In spite of our current circumstances, our sufferings or our anxieties, the resurrection of Jesus still fills our lives with the possibility to ignite our hope and renew our faith. Hope in a time of exile was a powerful witness for the early church. While we are technically more insiled than exiled, there is much truth that we can learn and discern through their situation. The author of this letter is trying to give hope to a struggling community who is dislocated and to show how God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. It almost sounds like it's been written for our times, doesn't it? Exile is the disruption of how we sing our songs where we sing our songs, where we practice our rituals, and where what we do is familiar. Isn't that what we are experiencing as the church? But God was with these exiled Christians, and the church grew exponentially. They didn't stay hidden away from the danger, but they embraced the needs of the world in which they were called to live lives of holiness. Holiness isn't staying hidden away and thinking pure thoughts. Holiness is preparing our minds for action, disciplining ourselves, setting our hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he is revealed. Holiness is having mutual love, loving one another deeply from the heart. We need to know God's character because who God is shapes how we are to live, especially in times like this. God is holy. We must also be holy. God is not passive in times of suffering. God is actively at work in the hearts and lives of those who suffer and in the hearts and lives of those who care for those who suffer. Holiness is hope in action, living hope. Peter answers two key questions in this opening chapter. Firstly, who are we? We are people who, by the mercy of God, have been chosen for a particular purpose. What is that purpose? To be set aside from other uses so that we can be signposts for this new reality that is found in the resurrected Christ. 
the living hope that became the testimony to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia reshaped not only the Roman world but all of history. It was faith born out of suffering in the knowledge that in the person of Jesus, crucified and resurrected, they had grace, peace and hope. They were not afraid to live this hope despite the likelihood that it would lead to their persecution. What of the shape of the church in Rabina, the Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia, throughout the world for that matter? Truthfully, I cannot see us emerging from this time of suffering in the same shape. But I do know that God is with us. God is working through us. I know when I look at the numbers of people who are going not just to our online church, but to all churches, that God is moving and actively at work. God did not cause this suffering. This is not some kind of macabre test. But God is powerfully at work in the midst of this suffering. Through the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus are not just moved by the suffering we see and experience, but we can be transformed into signposts for living hope. Will you let God move you? Even more, will you let God transform you? Amen.